Hey, Tyler Johnson here, pastor of Mission Church in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for checking out our podcast. Our hope is simple, that this message would bring you hope. Enjoy. Good morning. Come on. Hey, if uh, you are brand new, you came on a good Sunday. We're starting a new series today. And if you're not brand new, you came on a great Sunday also because a new series is always fun. And I'm not trying to make some hyperbolic statement, some amazing statement, but this might be my favorite series we've ever done so far. I'm more excited about this series than we've ever, we've ever, we had some great series, by the way, at least I think we have. And really series are really just different truths that I feel like God wants us to share as a whole, and it can't just take one Sunday. And this one that we're starting is the making of a great church. Everybody say great church. I was gone for three weeks, and I wasn't gone three weeks so I could play Minecraft. I've never played Minecraft, but I hear it's kind of cool. Um, I was gone for three weeks for some purpose. I want to make sure that as you go on this journey, it's easy to get a little distracted, even to get a little few feet off of what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be and remind yourself of who you are, not what you do. And So I just came with a prayer for the last three weeks. Lord, am I following you correctly? Because to have a great church, you need to have a great leader, and I'm not that. Jesus is our leader. And so I want to be the best follower I can be and just ask, Lord, Lord, is Mission Church becoming everything that you want it to be? Is it being built into something that you would smile about? So I can just keep it real with you. I hate bad church. I can't stand bad church. Like bad church, like we, we had six months before we planted the church and we went to a ton of different churches. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. There are some bad churches out there, okay? Can I, can I speak raw today? And you're like, no, there's no such thing. Yes, there is, okay? I remember walking to a church and I mean, I, I'll even go back to when I first started going to church. I almost never came back to church because I walked in and, it's, and I love the, the, I'm not going to give you the name of the church. I'll give you their tagline, though. But the, the name of the church was blank, blank, okay? And then under it, it was loving God, loving people. And I was like, well, I'm people. I might as well just walk in the church, you know? And I remember walking in, and I wasn't wearing the right attire. Nobody was friendly. Worship started, and everybody was just standing there. And it was just, I, I felt like I walked into a cemetery, not a church. I got, I got, I got corrected for what I wore. And I was like, this shouldn't be called blank, blank, loving God, loving people. It should be called preference church, growing old together. I'm just going to keep it real. Like, it, like, like preference over people. If you don't like our preferences, get out. Like it should have said things like that so I could have been prepared to know that you actually don't care about me. You care about your preferences. That's a bad church. I've been in churches, you know, I'll call it a different name, empty church. Just empty church. What I mean by empty church is you see them on Sundays and they're saying all these great statements. We're going to go change the world. We love people. We're going to be generous. We're going to, we're going to sacrifice for God. And then people are like, I know who goes to your church. They are not nice. They are selfish. And they're definitely not sacrificed for nobody. That's a bad church. So we're going to go five weeks. The making of a great church. Today I'm going to talk about the people. Because if I'm being honest, God's holding down his part of the job really well. He's killing the game. And then he gave us this mantle, this steward of caring for a region, not to use a region, but to serve a region. Not to use people, but to serve people. So I would love for us to go on a journey, and I believe a great church is a biblical church, so these are all things from the Bible, but I'm just going to shoot one after another. The Bible tells us what makes a great church, and if you don't think that God thinks there's bad churches, let me read you something real quick before we go in the message. It's in John, uh, John 2. It says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area, and he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. 
He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers and the coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Stop. We gotta be careful what we turn the church into. Jesus said, you stop turning my church into a marketplace. And so I, I come to the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything we're turning your house into? Is there anything we're turning Mission Church into that it shouldn't be? Stop turning my church into a place where people just come and go. That's not the church. Stop turning my church into a place where you're creating consumers that say, well, I like the song today, so therefore I like the church today. Stop creating a soft church where you preach a soft gospel so they live soft lives. Stop turning the church into something it's not. This is Jesus' challenge to you and to me. He goes on to say, and this is what I love. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Jesus is passionate about us making it a great church. A great church. I would say great church. I don't know about you, but I, it seems pretty simple. I don't want to go to an okay church. I don't want to go to a good church. I definitely want to go to a bad church. I want to be a part of a great church. But the only way that happens is not because you have, because let's be honest, a lot of times we're like, well, what is a great church? Well, it's, they have good worship, the teaching's pretty good, uh, and the people are nice. That, you can get that a thousand different places. I'm not trying to have a good service. I'm trying to change the world with you. I'm trying to have the gates of hell. A great church has a great vision. I wasn't even going to give this to you. This is bonus content. Um, I haven't preached for three weeks, so be ready. I do have a stop clock, though, 30 minutes to go. Here we go. Okay. Um, a great church has a great vision. Jesus gives Peter... And I believe us the same, the same vision. Because again, Habakkuk 2.2, write the vision, make it plain so they can run. Okay, this is, this is biblical. He goes to Peter and goes, oh, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. Come on now, put your name in there. Tyler, Timmy, Billy, Sarah, and Sally. Are there any Timmy, Billy, Sarah, maybe, okay? Just put your name in there. On this rock, I will build my church. You're like, well, that, that doesn't actually mean me. Yeah, it does exegete scripture with me. Has some hermeneutics. Look at 1 Peter. It says that he's the stone, and upon the living stones, he will build a house. We are all connected. He's building stone upon stone. He's going to build the church upon you. He's going to use your life to build the church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So one of the visions that, again, a great church has great vision and great mission. We are going to defeat death in this region. We're going to defeat the gates of hell in this region. This is, this is what God said. You're not just going to come. This isn't a defensive verse. This is offensive in the sense that we're going to take ground. We're going to walk out of this place with a new vision for my life that when I walk into a place, I change it from death to life, from darkness to light. This is what I do. He goes on to say, for the Son of Man did not come to, uh, came to seek and save the lost. That's got to be part of your life. The church, this has to be a part of our, our vision. Uh, last but not least, Proverbs 29, 18, and then I'll pray. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who keeps the law. Without vision, people perish is another translation. What it really means is without biblical guidance, when you're on the journey, the seatbelt that keeps you online to make sure you're doing everything that you're supposed to do and be who you're called to be, you've had a bump in life. It could even be success and a promotion. And because you don't have prophetic vision of your life, you bounce right out of the car and you start walking towards death. You start living for yourself. You live off base. It's not biblical. Without prophetic vision, without the word being the vision for your life, without scripture always being the thing that leads you, guides you, uh, challenges you, keeps you, without that being the thing, you're dipped. So our church, if we're not led by scripture, we're dipped. Will you bow your heads? God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for, oh, worship was so good. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that we get to worship you. 
Lord, that the people of this house that were not apathetic to what, to what you did on the cross, what you did to the grave, what you're doing in our life and what you're doing in this region and what you're doing at this church, this is a miracle that we're seeing. Oh, Father, we need you. May my words fall to the floor. May your words soar. We need you. We need you. We need you. And everybody said? All right, is anybody in the house uh, a send it back person? You go to a restaurant and you get a meal and let's say it was, you know, they gave you the wrong side or there's hair in your food or they gave you the wrong meal or they burnt something. Are you the send it back person? Raise your hand. Who's the send it back people? My people. Yes, yes, yes. You burn my pizza, I send it back, okay? I order a salad with no olives, there's olives, I send it back. I'm a, uh, uh, olives, okay? Um, who are the people, you could order a steak, and they're like, here's your chicken, you're like, thank you. Who are those people? Like, you don't send it back ever. Okay, okay, that's most of our people, okay? Wow, you're so Christian for eating what was given to you. <laughs> a sinner sending it back and losing our chance to witness. At least we got what we ordered, whatever. Um, <laughs> My wife is the person who never sends anything back, okay? She, she just, she, she can't do it. If I even try to send something back, she is like, <laughs> she'll go use the bathroom. She'll give me like these eyes like, who did I even marry? You know, like, you're a pastor, you know? And again, it doesn't happen a lot, okay? On a yearly basis, maybe once or twice a year, I could send something back. It's not like every week I'm like, uh, this is too cold, get it out of here, you know? Like, uh, this isn't Michelin star, get it out. That's not how I am, okay? It's like, I ordered... Uh, steak and they gave me like the wrong meal. I'm like, I actually didn't order this. Or like I, I'm allergic to chicken. Like, oh, there's chicken stock in this. I'll die. Can you actually give me something? That's how I roll, okay? Anyways, we're telling our friends this. Actually, when we're out to dinner at one of our favorite restaurants, they're visiting from Seattle, and uh, we were talking about, uh, I think it was like uh, when we were kids, I was 18. Joey's a childhood best buddy. We were 18, and we were at a pizza place. They burnt the pizza, and I sent the pizza back, and Joey was like, yeah, like, he sent it back, and you would have thought that, like, he, like, called them all names because everybody in that store was, like, walking out and looking at the guy who sent the pizza back. Like, the, literally, the, the guy who was making the pizza walked out of the place and was like, and I was like, how's my pizza coming, you know? Um, I, 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 it was, like, a terrible story. So we're sharing that story, so I'm like, yeah, Rachel never sends anything back. Well, guess what? Today's the day, all right? Rachel orders this French onion soup, all right? It's her favorite. She was talking about it, and uh, comes to her table, and... I don't even think they heated it up. Like it was cold French onion soup. And so Rachel takes a sip and I take a bite and I was like, oh my gosh, that's freezing. <laughs> what is she gonna do right now? I was, like, I was like, enjoy your cold soup, you know? Never send it back, you know? And uh, she's like, all right, I'm gonna send it back. I was like, all right, go for it, baby. Do your thing. And then, you know, Joey and Anna are there and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so weird. Don't say that. Now, they're the ones who are like, who would send their soup back, okay? So Rachel tells the server, I'm so sorry, but the French onion soup, it's, it's cold. And it's supposed to be hot, right? Like, of course, uh, and, she, and then Rachel even starts describing the French onion. Like, she's like, she's like a perfectionist. And usually the cheese is kind of like burnt on the edges, kind of crusted too from the oven. And I was like, you're going too far. You've never done this before. <laughs> All right, don't be that person. Right. I should have taught her how to send something back. So anyways, so the server grabs it. I kid you not, I think the server walked back to, into the kitchen, stood there for 10 seconds, and walked the same suit back out and was like, well, there you go, you know? And Rachel takes it by, she's like, it's still cold. I'm like, all right, I'll send it back two times. <laughs> That's on you, girl. She's like, I can't, I, it's, uh, we weren't like, by, we weren't clear, close to home. We were, of course, visiting with friends, and so we're like, all right, I got to send it back again. So the second time, she tells us, it's still cold. I'm so sorry. And the, and the cheese still, it's not even melted on top, really. And so the server's like, okay, you know, grabs it, goes in the back. 
heats it up a little bit. Rachel brings it back. The server brings it back to Rachel. She takes a bite, and it's lukewarm now. And now she's like, hey, I, rule 101 when sending it back, you never send it back three times. Rachel sent it back a third time. Hey, that's bold even for me, okay? So I'm looking at Rachel, I'm like, I have never been more proud of you, girl. You get your hot soup, you know what I'm saying? Get it, girl, get it, you know? And so now I'm almost feeling like I'm like, now I'm kind of on her side, you know? So she's talking, but now I'm talking. I was like, I, was like, I, can, like, I can heat it up with you. Like, I'll go, you know, one minute in the microwave. We can do this together. We can do it as a team, you know? Anything just to get my girl some hot soup, you know? And so finally they go back, heat it up. On the third try, she gets a nice hot soup. Ah, you know, it's fantastic. I'm so proud of her. We enjoyed it. Stop. I don't know about you, but I think in, in life, most of the time, the majority of us, you told on yourself, I set you up, is we do, we kind of just settle for what's given to us. We do, we just like, all right, I, I ordered this, I expected this, I really desired this, but this is just what the server gave me. This is just what this world gave me. This is just all I can have. And so I'm going to pull out the hair out of my salad and eat the salad. Rachel's done that before. Um, I, I didn't order this, but I guess I'll have a burger with all the toppings, even though I just like cheese. Okay, I'll have it. And we settle. Jesus is the farthest thing from a settling God. Two things he doesn't settle for. He doesn't settle for a cold church, a lukewarm. He will send that church back. Oh, you don't, you don't believe me? Let me show you scripture, Revelation 3. Jesus wants a great church. He says this in Revelation 3. I was like, Rachel's actually acting like Jesus at this moment. It's crazy. Um, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness. I mean, that, that's authority right there. This is, this is the leader of the church talking. The faithful and the amen, the true God, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one, either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus said, I didn't die for an okay church. I didn't die for a lukewarm church. I'm sending this thing back. You think you can come to church and be lukewarm? You think I can be a side dish in your life? You think you can just be cold and be apathetic to the things of God? No, no, no. These things make me puke. I would have been really embarrassed, if I'm being honest, if Rachel would have been like, to the server, spit it out right in front of him, send it back. But here's what Jesus shows us. He's talking about the church. And if the church ever tries to present something that actually I didn't call them present, and they present it with no passion and apathy, and they're arrogant in their things because they think they have academics and they think they have finances and they think they're so smart because of their promotions. They know how to do church better than Jesus does. That's when things get really scary. That's when God goes, I'm going to send it back. Some of you want to hear something real quick. The life that you're living right now, you need to send it back. You're settling for the wrong things. Okay, you can, do it. You can clap for that. All right. Send it back. Come on. If you're married, can't send it back. Okay. Yeah, I told Rachel that in this mess, like, hey, you can tell me to change a shirt. You can tell me I need to work on something, but you can't send it back. Catch this. As we go through this, I think one of the reasons why is you really live what you believe. You believe what you live. And so when we go to the Bible, this can't just be ideas. This has to be things that get in your soul. And so we're going to look at the types of people that make a great church. That's it, just the types of people make a great church. And so I'm going to go to Ephesians 4, uh, the church of Ephesus, one of the greatest churches ever in our history. There were one church that changed hundreds of churches. Hundreds of churches went out of there. One city changed a ton of different cities. And that's a dream for Mission Church, that we would change the East Bay, 
that we would not stop here, that we would transform California. Well, that's kind of an impossible dream. I'm not done yet. I just, no, not only California, and then we would be part of transforming America. Well, Tyler, that's kind of big. I know I'm not done yet. After America, we would transform the world. That's the dream of Mission Church because that's the dream that Jesus has for the church, okay? That's not my dream. That's Jesus' dream. I was reminded. Come on now. You can, you can clap for that. Uh, I'll stop for claps. I got to get used to that. I'm sorry. This is getting so good. Um, I was reminded by a pastor this past week that, that we don't worship a God that does hard things. We worship a God that does impossible things. And so we're not going to be a, a, a church that just wants to do good things. We want to do impossible things. So when we look at the journey of our church, a year old, you're going to be a part of doing impossible things with us. It doesn't happen on accident. It happens with faith-filled people. It happens with a people full of life. And Ephesians is an amazing thing. I'm not going to read it, but Ephesians 3 talks about the church. and It says that God, mysterious plan, he planned to use the church to reveal it. Not anything else. He didn't say anything else. He didn't say, I'm going to use this or that. He said, the church. I'm passionate about this because I didn't grow up in church. Changed my life. Came to church. And again, church didn't, I didn't say, yes to church, save me church, boom, no. The, the vehicle that church is to proclaim the name of Jesus, to worship Jesus, to people to become like Jesus, to make disciples like Jesus, that, that, that environment, when I got to hear the gospel message, it changed my life. I, it rock, I'm sitting there with my, with my buddy Drew, and, and we're both in our teen years, and we're hearing the gospel message for the first time, really hearing it as a 16-year-old. He said, if this is true, it's the greatest thing I've ever heard. If this is true, my life's going to be changed forever. If this is true, I'm going to dream different. You know me today, but you didn't know me when I was 16. You didn't know the darkness, the death, the, the abuse, the wounds that Jesus has brought me through? You think he did it just for me? I want, we planted this church. I literally dream of other people like me walking into church. They've been abused. They have no hope. They feel like my life is done. And then they hear the message of Jesus and they say, oh, I'm not done. I have a great Savior and I've got great plans for my life. My life should never have happened without a Jesus. Oh, without Jesus, this should never be my life. My marriage, my friendships, everything is because of Jesus. That's not just for me. That's not just for you. That's for the whole world. Did I pray? Yeah, okay. Turn your Bible to Ephesians 4. Okay. Sorry. Uh, supposedly I have 17 minutes. That's adorable. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Uh, now, this is... Uh, a great part of the chapter, uh, it's six chapters in Ephesians. The first three is the calling of the church. The last three chapters is the conduct of the church, the way we're supposed to operate as a church. And so Paul is writing to the church saying, here's how you should conduct yourselves. Here's how you should operate. Here's how a great church operates. So I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Not going to apologize. I, I realized I should never apologize for reading the Bible in church, okay? Um, so just buckle up. It's about a minute and a half of scripture, but it's really, really good. It's thick. Here we go. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to leave a life worthy of your calling. Are you, just stop right there. We could preach on that. Are you living the life worthy of God's blood on your life, that he died on a cross, saved you? Are you living the life worthy of your calling? Are you living a life of this world? That's always a good question to ask yourself. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Man, we're going to be a humble church. Great churches are humble churches. Oh, oh. Great churches are gentle churches. We're never going to be aggressive with people and say, turn or burn. That's not in the Bible, by the way. Um, it's just a quote. Okay. Be patient with each other. We've got to be patient. Great churches need to be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I don't know about you, but church is messy. So this is just him just setting the stage. Hey, here's the deal. Here's the conduct. 
I know that Tim goes to your church. He's kind of annoying. Give him an allowance of love and bear with him. God loves him, so you got to love him too, okay? Bear with your pastor. He talks kind of long sometimes on Sundays. Make an allowance for it because I'm not going to be done in 15 minutes. Here we go. Um, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been uh, called to one glorious hope uh, for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and all and living through all. That's a lot of alls and a lot of ones. He's establishing the authority of God in the church. This is, uh, again, alignment will affect assignment. There is God, then there is us. He's the one, he's the authority, he's over all. You are not, I am not, he is. However, he has given each one of us a special gift. Ooh, but however, he wants to labor with us. Each one of us. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're gifted. Man, if you told me that soft, I wouldn't believe you. Tell them they're gifted. I saw a couple actually kiss after they said they're gifted. Come on now, top left. Like, you're gifted. Hey, we at church right now. He's not kissing up there in the corner. Even the back row. Typical. I love it. I guess if you can't kiss a church where you can kiss. Okay, anyways. Um, that was adorable. Okay, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So your gift isn't even something you manufactured. It was given to you by God. You can't even take credit for it. You just got to steward it. This is why scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led crowds of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Boom. Let's fill this region with Jesus. Not with opinions, not with judgmental. Let's fill it with Jesus, okay? Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, people who love to birth new relationships, birth ministries. It's, a, it's an apostolic gift. Come on, the apostles, the prophets, Come on now, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Everybody say build up. We believe this, that a great church, when you come, we're not here to beat you down, we're here to build you up. And not, that's not some like token area like, oh, thanks for building me up, pastor. No, no, the world is literally trying to tear people to shreds, and scripture builds people up. And so we're called to build people up, not beat them down. I'll show you Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. A great church has encouraging people. It has an encouraging pastor. Hopefully I encourage you. If not, forgive me. It says, and let us consider how. So it says, another translation, let us think of ways. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward the love and good deeds. So as a church, we should be encouraging each other how to love each other and how to actually live the life we're supposed to live. We should be encouraging. It goes on to say, not giving up meeting together. Not giving up. I feel like Paul had been to churches before because you're like, man, I want to give up meeting with those people. I want to give up going to church. I want to give up on small groups. I want to give up on me and that person. Not giving up on people. But finding ways to say, keep going. Keep loving people. Keep serving. I get it. You were on the welcome team and people were rude to you. I get it. You are on the welcome team and somebody walked up and instead of saying thank you for serving, they're like, you know how you could welcome better? Do this. I know you're a small group leader and you labor for your small group and then people come to you and complain about how you do small group even though you're laboring and all they're adding is complaining. Keep, keep leading small group. Keep serving people. Goes on to say, as some are in habit of doing, but encouraging, oh, okay, whoop, 25. Here we go. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Stop. Scripture throughout, look at it. There's power in life 
in the tongue. There's the power of life and death in the tongue. When we planned the church, I, oh, especially in the very beginning we planned the church, every encouraging word felt like wind at our back. Like, we can do it. And then every like discouraging word, like, do you know what you got yourself into? Or, you know, you should do this instead. It was like, instead of like, oh, it was like a punch to the gut. Like, you're like oh, thank you. I'm so glad we're planning a church. If we aren't encouraged, can I be honest? I feel like we are so worried about making people prideful that we never encourage people. I feel like we're on like the, the, the prideful police. You don't know people's hearts. You don't know. Here's what I do know is everybody needs the, uh, the word of life for them. Everybody needs encouragement in their life. It shows Harvard Business Review had a study. I was, as I was researching this, they showed the best teams that produced the most had a ratio of six encouragements to one correction. Did you get six encouraging things even this week? Probably not. I, I, gotta, I forgot my phone. I got to grab it real quick. I'm going to play you something. Da, da, da. So um, I thought to myself, I was like, man, if, if I don't send an encouraging text to somebody or encouraging call in a week, I don't know if I'm actually being a great pastor. I don't know if we're a great church. If people in our church aren't being encouraged in every week basis, if they're in community in a small group, we've missed it. Just maybe missed it. So you got to ask yourself, am I encouraging or am I being encouraged? And if not, you see yourself as a solution, not a part of the problem, yes? So this is uh, 4.18. Uh, this is back in the day. And you need encouragers in your life. This is my first pastor I ever had. He, uh, we were about three months old. Kind of had a hard week. Uh, it was after Easter. And nobody likes to come to church after Easter. And I'm like, is this thing going to go? Or are we going to have to like, go work at the steel company with Tommy? Um, all that kind of stuff, okay? And I get this phone call uh, from uh, my senior pastor. And so I want to hear real quick. This is, oh, so good. My only question is, did you win the darn ball game? <laughs> I'm so proud of you, Tyler. I'm so proud of you. Uh, you have made the heart of Jesus proud. You've done the kingdom of God proud. And that city is going to owe you a debt by coming into Walnut Creek and planting that church. And my paternal pride is busting. Go get him, Tiger. Love you. Bye. It's 7.30 this morning, and I'm praying, and my phone rings, and it says, Roger Archer, my senior pastor. I'm always answering, because here's what I know what's going to happen. I'm so proud of you. I'm so, how you doing? Are you excited for church today? I'm so, I'm just, oh, son of the faith. I still remember, I miss you in the second row, hands raised, worshiping every Sunday. I'm so proud of you. I'll answer that every time. Because if I'm being honest, I'm going I'm to I'm touch a button right quick. Ready? I'm going to touch a button. You're maybe not going to like it. Can I touch a button? Let's talk, okay? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even saying I'm a fan of this guy. I'm not even saying he, what he's doing is correct. But he's doing something where I feel like so many people don't even know where else to go to get it. And he's a pastor. You may know his name. His name's Joelstein. Can I say it? Ooh. And he's polarizing to a lot of people. I'm not here to say how he preaches or if he preaches right, if he preaches bad. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that he's the most encouraging pastor on the planet, and people are tuning in from everywhere just to say simply this, am I going to make it? Because nobody at my church tells me I'm going to make it. Does God have good things for me? Because I don't hear it anywhere else. Does God love me? Because I don't hear it anywhere else. But man, this guy for 30 minutes keeps on telling me, God loves you. You're going to make it. He died on a cross for you. Gosh darn it, he, just, he thinks you're a masterpiece. Let's pray. People are like, Ah, oh, terrible. Turn that trash off. 
Tell them about the fire of hell. Tell them that they don't, they don't know how to live the life that God told them to live. What? Bottom line, a great church is an encouraging church. It's throughout scripture. Here's the script. You are more than a conqueror. Oh, don't tell people that. You are called. You should be confident in your gifts. You're gifted. You're talented. This is scripture. If we can't have a confidence in the way God created us, when are we going to walk out and actually do something outside these walls? All the enemy's doing is telling you, you're stupid. You're not good enough. You're a terrible sinner. Don't you dare speak up. Who's saying that? Not God. Not the Bible. Can you imagine if people came to church looking to encourage people? Can you, ima can you imagine if people came to church during worship instead of judging the way worship was being done? Let's be honest. It's, 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 it, and that's, that, that's not your spirit, by the way. God is not giving you the gift of judging how church is going, by the way. Okay? That is flesh on steroids. That is arrogance, pride. I know the best way to do church. I'll, right here, I don't know the best way to do church. I feel so not confident in how we're supposed to do church. And I, I lean on the Bible like crazy. I lean on mentors that love the word and love Jesus. Because when we started this thing, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to love people. Let's just start with that. Imagine coming to church, though, instead of judging, encouraging one person. Because how many people get judged on a Sunday by other people? Well, that's a terrible church. I'll flip tables for that church. I'll get them out of here. Looking at that person because you don't like the way they worship. Looking at that person because they seem too confident for you. Looking at that person because they're wearing clothes that you don't think they should be wearing. <sighs> Have fun living that kind of spirit. I want to encourage you in life. Is that okay? Does this make sense? Let's keep going. Second point, there's only going to be two points today. Actually, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. If you saw my notes, there's actually eight, but I'm just going to do two today. You want to know why? Because this is a series that I don't want to rush through. We're going to talk about encouraging people today and loving people. Next week, we're going to talk about generous people. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, August 11th. Man, the church, we better have something more than just our own academics. We need the power of God in our life, the one that raised Jesus from the dead, also using us. So we're talking about that. We're talking about uh, people being offended. We're going to talk about the undefendable church. We're going to be undefendable. Come on now. We're going to talk about worship. Ooh, I'm excited about that one. So this may be five weeks. It may be 10 weeks, but I believe this is massively important for our church to get. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Um, where am I in this thing? Okay, here we go. Uh, da, da, da. All right. Before I go on, I just want to do a poll too real quick. Who prefers a text instead of a phone call to be encouraged? Raise your hand. Who wants a phone call instead of a text? That's actually shocking. Because when people call me, I'm like, what's going on? Why didn't you text me? I like encouraging texts more than the phone calls. Okay, here we go. Um, let your people know. All right, love languages. Uh, this will continue until we all come to such unity. Let's keep going through Ephesians 4. This will come until we uh, continue in such unity in our faith and knowledge of God, uh, God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. Man, we've got to grow up today, don't we? Let's grow. Come on now. God doesn't want you in the same place you were last month. God doesn't want you just as angry as last month. He wants you more loving. Come on, let's grow together. He goes on to say, uh, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There's a standard. There is a standard that God has set for his church. And it's not good, it's not okay. He wants a great church, a church that does the impossible. So we have an impossible bar because we have an impossible God. I love this. Then we will no longer be like immature children. I'm reading a couple things, but I'm excited. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Man, people are gonna try to hijack the vision of the church all the time. They're trying to make the church something that they think is the most important. Jesus is the most important. 
Instead, we will speak the truth in love. What a crazy idea to speak the truth in love. Hey, we're going to encourage you, but we're going to still tell you if you're off. I'm not going to encourage you to death. I'm not going to encourage you to bondage. I'm going to encourage you to life. Can you imagine if I actually spoke the truth in love and said not in judgment? Can you imagine we spoke the, the truth in love and not in assumption or not in preference? Oh, I, I wrote this down, and it, for me, it was, it was kind of an interesting illustration, but Rachel and I watched the Jonas Brothers documentary on Amazon. Anybody watch that? Anybody? Never mind. Okay. I'm going to put this away. <laughs> Too much information? I don't know what's worse, telling you guys about that or that, right? Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, so, yeah, we watched the Jonas Brothers documentary on Amazon. I was feeling crazy that night, all right? And uh, I, I'll be honest. Couldn't stand the Jonas Brothers. Like, I was like, oh, Nick Jonas, ugh, like that guy. Like, plays the good, he's like, I'm jealous. I, I, I can't stand him, okay? Like, I, I couldn't stand the Jonas Brothers, okay? Um, and then I watched this documentary, because they, they would come to our church once in a while in L.A., but I, just, I couldn't stand them. And then I watched the documentary, and you find out that they grew up in church, that they were playing at, you know, uh, malls, they were singing on Sundays at church, and their dad was a pastor, and then they started a career in music. And the church that they're part of said it because it wasn't a Christian album, they threw them out of the church and his dad lost his job as pastor. They weren't even allowed, they lost their house that they lived in, that the church had for them, and they weren't allowed to walk back into the church. And they were thrown into another, that got a good response. Oh, exactly. I just want to give Nick Jonas a big old hug after that. And, th and then you find out they go in this little house and they're, they're, they're in this little home and they're uh, journeying towards their dreams and and even there's this moment where Nick Jonas is sitting there in front of their house where they grew up. And he goes, it's weird that this is the only place we're not allowed to go back to. And you could tell all of them have a wound from church. And I was like, man, like, I had all these assumptions about Nick Jonas, <laughs> just being honest. And I didn't like the guy. And now, to be honest, after the documentary, I pray for the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> I, just, I know it's weird. It's weird. I was like, Lord, like, I wish Nick Jones would just even just come to our church and just hear how much you love him. I wish I could just run into him and tell him that you love him and apologize for what the church did to him. Oh, I, I, I'm coming to Nick in a different, I actually care now. Instead of coming with assumptions that he's arrogant, I actually understand that there's, there's wounds behind those actions. There's, there, there's, there's pain behind that kind of posture that he has. And what if we actually got to know somebody? You need to know somebody's documentary before you correct them. You, hear me? you, you, you need to know their story. You don't need to know what they did. No, no, you need to know the layers of the last 30 years of why they're doing what they're doing. And that's when the church gets good, when you're in small group people. You find out their story, you find out what they've been through, instead of just having an assumption and correcting them. No, no, you live life with them, and you realize, I'm gonna actually, you actually want to pray. You're, you're going to find out you're going to want to hug people way more than you actually want to judge people. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I, I didn't even get into my points today. But that's okay, right? You, you, got, you got some pearls today? Come on, come on. Um, you notice we probably had an extra song. I feel like this next season of church is even one thing that we're adding. I think we're supposed to worship more as a church, so we have four songs instead of three. I think that we're still going to, of course, preach around 40 minutes, but I really want us to focus on worship and really hearing the Word of God, so that's what we're doing. But I want, I want to finish with this. Is a great church has loving people. A great church has loving people. Loving people. It says at the very end of Ephesians, I'll read it. I don't want to paraphrase it. I want to read it out loud. Come on, Scripture does not return void. Verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Each part. Each part. Every, if, you don't, if you're not doing anything at church right now and you've been a believer for 10 years, you're missing it. Okay? I, I'm missing out. 
Because as each part does its own work, I grow because of what you're doing. I'm blessed by what you do. But if only part of the church is doing it, that's not a great church. A great church is when everybody's a part of it. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Everybody say full of love. All right, here's the deal. I, uh, I've been to Disneyland a handful of times, lived in L.A., and there's just something about areas that have the majority of people that are just over the top in a good way. So Disneyland, people are full of excitement that they're at Disneyland. You, you get to the gates, and people are, I mean, to be honest, like people are running to the front of the gate. And I remember the first time I went to Disneyland, and I'm not going to lie, I literally did this, okay? I would always do it kind of as a joke, but I just always like do it. My wife sees me do it in the house sometimes still. But I walked into Disneyland for the first time, and this is what I did. I'm here. I'm at Disneyland. I put my hands out. I didn't care. I spun it around. Uh, if you've ever seen Elf, there's a reason why I love doing it. I was like, I'm the happiest man in the world. I don't care. Who knows? You know, it's like one of those moments, okay? I was visiting my friend, went with him. He had to go to, uh, he was at Pepperdine. I was visiting Pepperdine at the time. And, and so he had to go, uh, it was during spring break. So he had to go back to class. And so I actually go by myself to Disneyland the following day. I didn't care. I'm like, I'm going by myself. And I literally ran to every single ride. Talk to people in line every time, like, hey, I'm from Puyallup, Washington. Da-da, nice to meet you. And, and they'd be like, who are you? Who are you with? Nobody, just myself. Nice to meet you. They're like, okay, all right, all right, all right. But you, I would just, again, by yourself, you're watching the room, and, and the whole place is just, you know, like a long line for the Dole Whip. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to get Dole Whip. And it's just full of excitement. And it's known as the happiest place on earth. I remember Rachel last year, maybe a year and a half ago, I don't know exactly, but a year and a half or two years Anthropology opened up, like the super anthropology. And Rachel's like, I gotta go in. And I was like, I don't wanna gotta go. And she's like, come on, Tyler, just for a little bit. So I, so I walk into anthropology like this. All right, I'm here. And there's like three other guys just standing at the front door waiting for their wives. And so I'm just sitting there and then I look up and it was like this, like, oh my gosh, it's here, anthropology's here. Oh my God. They've got, they have a garden section now. They have, is this thing two stories? Oh my gosh, it's here. And I was like, am I missing out? I think, should I go shopping right now? Should I get like a little like plant or something? Like I feel like maybe I'm the one that's off because everybody else looks like they're having a good time. Place was full of people who were just, it's here. I've been to churches. Man, you walk in. There's some churches I visited in our six-month journey. I walked in, and during worship, it was this. After we were there, nobody said hi. During the message, this was them. And I was like, man, if you don't want to be here, why would I want to be here? Like, Everything about what you're showing me through your response to God's house and who God is and the people around you, it's terrible. This place is not full of love. There are some churches that were full of apathy. The Bible calls it lukewarm. There were churches that were just full of tired Christians because they were living for the law instead of for love. Come on, tired Christians just sitting there, another Sunday at church, might as well be here. And I was like, man, when people come in and out, our house, and when I mean our house, his house, man, I hope they see a church that goes, oh, we're about to worship. Well, the kid, he died on a cross for me, and they see people excited to worship their God, thankful to worship their God. Oh, move to, wor- oh, move to worship their God. I, if you hear the song, not for a minute was I forsaken, and you actually don't, sorry, uh, if you really don't process 
the words that the kind of God you worship, that he's not a far God, that he doesn't turn his face from us, that his face is turned towards us and it's gracious and it's loving. If you can't sing a song, what a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is. You can't speak the name of Jesus when you're worshiping and realizing that he died on a cross for you, that your life is forever changed. Instead, you just sit there and ask God to fill you up with his love. A great church is full of love. If Disneyland can be the happiest place on earth, earth and anthropology can be the most expensive place on earth, I believe that the church should be the most loving place on the earth. Is that impossible? Yeah, but we worship an impossible God. Man, let's love God with our worship, with our words, with our life. If you love me, obey my commandments with our obedience. And when you love God, it gets a lot easier to love unlovable people. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Take care.